Welcome to Unexpected Points. I am your host, Kevin Cole. This is the Friday edition, the uh, post-wrap-up of Thursday night football for those who saw a true Thursday night football, a classic Thursday night football matchup of the Texans and the Panthers last night. I'm going to do the thing which I think has been the most value to people listening, and that is digging behind some of the numbers, some of the grading for the game that's fresh in people's minds. Most people watched it, I assume. If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably on the same level of degeneracy that I am on here, and you sit through a Texans-Panthers game despite the fact, even if you don't have fantasy players in there. You're sitting through this to watch uh, to watch that matchup. There's some interesting nuggets coming out of there. Um, I'm going to try not to be too biased against Sam Darnold, but I want to put into context some of his numbers that were on the positive side, including his grading, which was pretty positive. So we'll step into that. And then after I'm done with that, we'll run through quickly the games from the weekend. I think there are lots of good resources out there for you to get information on that sort of front. So I don't want to belabor uh, that stuff there. And while I'm talking about that, a great place to get a lot of that information is pff.com. Uh, you know, we have many different subs available for you there, not only to get our fantasy football information, our quote unquote real football information, elite subs, which give you um, expected fantasy points, which is one of my favorite tools there to pick out players who may or may not be a little bit undervalued. And you also can get access for free to a lot of the different podcasts. Uh, I, of course, listen to almost everything that we put out, whether it's the big NFL football show with uh, Sam and Steve, or if it's the forecast with George Chahuri and Eric Eager, which focus more on the betting angle on that side. And I've also been enjoying quite a bit the tailgate podcast, despite the fact that I'm not a college football guy. They do a lot of good NFL stuff on the tailgate podcast too, with Mike Renner and Austin, Austin Gale. Uh, they went through all the games, I think on their podcast for uh, Thursday on their Thursday podcast, they went through all the different games, uh, the NFL games this weekend. So I found that very edifying too. Okay, so before let's get into this Carolina and Houston game. For those who weren't paying attention going into it, uh, if we were going to look at the, the you know the headline stats going into the game, it was an eight point, maybe eight and a half in some places uh, spread for the Panthers being favored. The over-under closed at 43. So the implied total for the Texans was only uh, 17 and a half points, and then it was 25 and a half points for Carolina. Um, to go over as far as, you know, what ultimately happened, you know, only nine points for the Texans and 24 points for the Panthers. And first, I'm going to just start up top with, Fourth down decision stuff. I know some people think we talk about this too much, but I just want to hit the the David Cully one a little bit here because it was pretty egregious. Uh, There was a situation here where they were down a point. So it was seven to six at that point because they missed an extra point. Fourth and four at the 39-yard line, they ended up taking the delay of game and then punting where in a strange situation there, not only would going for it have added a couple of at least a few percent in win probability, but kicking the field goal. Uh, would have done the same thing. So he kind of chose the worst of three options and reminds me that, you know, on the podcast earlier this week, I forgot to talk about what happened with him against the Browns the prior week where he had this incredible situation where it was third and 15. They picked up 13 yards. They had the ball on the Browns 49 yard line. So the plus 49. And then they decided not to take a penalty. They could have, they could have taken a four, a five yard penalty, start over at third and 10. Um, they decided not to take a penalty. So to keep it at fourth and two, but then they didn't go for it. They punted it and it ended up going into the end zone. There's this very funny picture of Kevin Stefanski on the sideline saying, you know, mouthing what, like he couldn't figure out what was going on there. So Cully, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to get on the guy too hard. He has a unenviable job right now, uh, working with the team that most people would think are going to be the worst team in the NFL. And it's too bad that Ty, uh, Tyrod Taylor went down because he was having a pretty solid season. You should see he's up near the top five or six in my quarterback rankings based on what he had done this year. Uh, I'll get into what Davis Mills did in this game a little bit in, in a second. So first, let's just start with some of the headline grading that we're going to want to compare here, and that would be Darnold and Mills. So Darnold had a 
pass grade of 75.7 and Mills was 55.9. If you look at Darnold's grading on the season right now, he is grading after this game. Of course, it doesn't reflect week three for everyone else. But if you're going to go through his passing grades uh, on the season, he is 11th right now in his passing grade, which if you think about it, this is someone who was consistently in the low 20s, not even in I'm the, the high 20s, depending upon how you phrase it. But he was closer to 30th. Uh, in his passing grade almost every single year he's been in the NFL. Now his he's at 80.2, so slightly higher than what his performance was last night, but that's his, his grade so far on the season. And if we're going to think about Darnold, when I have my Bayesian quarterback rankings, he is basically last of anyone, uh, including Daniel Jones, who looked really bad, including even newer guys like Taylor Heineke. So I think, you know, obviously there's a coaching element that's not part of that. There's a team success element that's not part of that. That now he's getting a little bit more help when he comes to Carolina. And I want to hit on some of the factors that played out last night and through the season that have probably been helping him so far this year. First, looking at a macro perspective, what Joe Brady, the offensive coordinator there, has been able to do. I thought it was interesting just to look at their pass frequency numbers by situation. Uh, I have this information split out. If you want to have, you know, with my own stuff uh, that I have with proprietary data, if you want to look at some great public information, go again, I'm pretty much mentioning this every single week, but go to Ben Baldwin's uh, rbsdm.com, running backs don't matter dot com website there is a pass frequency over expected you can look by team and then it looks by situation so to go over some of the numbers that are there they're laid out in a, in a very nice way overall they're about six they're passing about six percent more than expectation you got to realize their numbers are not high this year it's just that the expectation would have been very very low uh they ha- are not passing a ton if you look at the different games that they've had so far this year Uh, Their pass percentage in these games has been 54%, 56%, and 58%. So not high, but the expectation is really, really low because not only are they winning, you know, they've never trailed the entire season. I put a stat up there the other day where Darnold going into this game, it had 81 dropbacks. 61 of those dropbacks were while leading, only 20 trailing. And it would have been a similar circumstance in this game, right? So they're 6% over. But I think what's interesting about not just the 6% over expectation, but like how those differ by circumstance on first and 10 they're two percent over expectation so not that high and you got to realize like the the first and 10 pass rates are very low in the nfl you're you're always shocked by the fact that it's basically a 50 50 proposition i'm a little bit better with teams running it on first down because i feel like from a sequential standpoint if you run it on first depending upon what happens then you can adjust on on the next play and so on if you don't get any yards then you can pass if you gain 5 or 6 yards and you can think about running it again and and so on and so forth so i'm not that bad with the runs on first down and those also set up the play action plays on first down which which i do think there's an importance to it if you're never running on first down then that you know eventually is going to take away some of some of the effectiveness there as teams start to chart your trends going forward it's not about establishing the run or anything like that it's just about putting it on film so it's depending upon what teams are seeing and then they'll react to it in the future what i think is most interesting about what brady is doing what joe brady is doing is on second and eight or more yards he's 15 percent above expectation they're passing over 75 percent of the time in that situation and 75% of the time in and of itself is not that big of a deal, but you got to remember this is a team that's been winning and has been up a lot. So even when they, when they have that unsuccessful first down play, whether it's an incompletion would fall into this bucket or a running play that gains two yards or fewer, they are going to go ahead and press. And they're going to say, you know, we're going to pass out of the situation because we know how difficult it is when you're running there. This whole theory of getting into third and manageable when you're at second and eight, something like that, it's just a bunk theory. You, you're, you're, setting your, you're giving yourself one less opportunity to convert via the air, which is much easier to do. And you're setting yourself up almost for a guaranteed third down and medium where teams can come after you uh, and, and are much more difficult 
to uh, and bad things can happen basically when teams can really turn on their pass defense uh, and their pass rush and come after you there's no optionality in that circumstance normally you're almost always passing unless it's third down or two or well definitely third and you have to at least get to third and three but most of the time it's third and two and third and one you're not really uh running the ball until you get to those situations so in second between three and seven yards to go they're 27 percent over expectation and they're actually passing a little bit higher rate, despite the fact that the expectation is lower. Now, of course, this will even out over the course of the season, but I really love this because second down and long. So this is to second down anything more than three yards here. I think those are the plays most often where I'm upset about teams that are running in those circumstances because of the sequential nature of what I'm talking about when you're setting up the plays. It means you were unsuccessful. So when teams are unsuccessful on first down and then they run on second down, there's this baked in risk aversion, regret aversion as part of that, because you don't want to get into the third and long because you think that's so much worse. But really, in reality, unless you are a very, very advanced forward thinking team that's going to go for it on fourth and three or something like that, even putting yourself in third and medium gives you a high chance of not converting, of, of failing to convert and then having to get it away. So why not double your chances of being able to convert via the air by throwing it on second down? And then if you don't get that, go ahead and, and throw it on third down. Staying out of third down, teams should be focusing on that way more than they currently are. And passing on second down when you're beyond a few yards is really the best way to do it. And that's what they're doing here in Carolina, which I like a lot. Now on second and short, they're actually passing under expectation. And I like that. I know some people like to think about the chunk plays there, but I think defense has become more hip to that. And sometimes you can get a decent amount of just conversions in, in that circumstance and go ahead and use that to, to move forward and move the chains. I'm not against that. Uh, and then the rest of the circumstances, it isn't that big of a difference. Um, I mean, after a rush on first down, they're passing a little bit more than expectation, which I think is good to mix, mix things up. And then they're basically in expectation for third and one or two yards. Um, actually, they're, they're actually passing it a little bit less than you'd expect for third and one and two yards. And I like that, too. That is actually an inefficiency in the other direction than what you typically see. Teams do not run it enough on third and one or third and two because you have fourth down there and because your conversion rates are a little bit higher than you might think. Teams like to pass it too much in those circumstances. So that the fact that they're under there, I think, is good. So Darnold's being set up well there. And if you remember, the Jets, they were a league-leading team as far as running on second and, and long, and they were in second and long a ton. Uh, if you look at what, what they had done, their numbers were off the charts for as far as their having negative uh, pass passing versus expectation on those second and long uh, downs. So we're seeing the exact opposite here. Joe Brady's giving Darnold a chance to use an early down on a pass where he was not getting that chance in the future, and I think that's been very, very key for Darnold so far. Uh, this year. Now to talk about some of the things for Darnold that may be a little bit overstated. Uh, if you look at his EPA per play last night, so his EPA per play was good. It was, um, let me get the exact number here. His EPA per play was about 0.4 EPA per play, which Again, if, if you're to carry that over the course of the season, that's MVP-ish sort of numbers. He did it in a couple different ways. He was 0.3 in EPA per dropback, and then he was over one EPA per rush. He had four different rush attempts here. And I really liked another thing that they were doing, although it did look a little, a little painful for, for Darnold sometimes. Is he, did, he did three one-yard sneaks. One of them was second and one, which is actually a loss of EPA, despite the fact that he converted on that. So I don't know if I'm thrilled about that one. Um, but he got a touchdown on another one and he converted a third and one with the sneak. I know we talked earlier, if you want to catch an episode from a number of weeks back when I first talked to Ryan Paganetti, who comes on here every Tuesday, we talked a lot about the underutilization of sneaks. Seems like Panthers are all good for the sneak and they're, and Darnold seems to be all good using it. And he used it to great effectiveness last night, uh, being able to convert those. And then he also scored that touchdown on a, uh, on a run on a option type of uh, play that that he had near the goal line a read option play near the goal line so very very effective on the ground and that gave him a nice boost and I think again you want to see that from Donald he isn't 
the fastest guy. I think he ran something like a four eight, but he's a big dude and he can use that. And he can, he wasn't that again, this is an aspect of his game that wasn't being utilized enough, which is actually running the ball versus trying to run around a bunch and buy time and do some crazy stuff in the backfield, which is probably, he's not as good at as people were hoping he would be going into uh, going into his career. The one thing that I will say about the numbers that were a little confusing is that he had this high EPA, but if you look at fumbles that he had, he didn't lose any, but he's had four fumbles this season. He's only lost one of those four fumbles. Two, last night, he had two fumbles. He didn't lose either one of them. We did grade, these are both uh, strip sacks, and we did grade one of them as a turnover-worthy play as a minus 1.5. It looks like initially we might have had another as a turnover-worthy play also, but we took that we took that down. And that is probably my concern more than anything for Darnold. It hasn't been a big issue because of the fact that they've been winning in all these games because of the fact that the only fumble that he lost was a little bit of a fluky one, which probably shouldn't even really count as a fumble where he was going to hand the ball off to the running back and accidentally swiped it against the fullback. And then it, it fell out on that one, but he has had three strip sacks and he's been lucky to not have lost any of them. And so when you look at a stat like QBR from ESPN, which is an EPA based stat that, that they have, but they do account for fumbles in that. And I think that's why when you look at the QBR for Darnold last night, despite the fact that he had like a 90th percentile type of EPA per play, his QBR last night was uh, 62.8. And the raw QBR before any uh, opponent adjustments was actually down in the 50s, which is, it just, which is pr- not good. Not good. And I think a big reason there is because they count fumbles that are not gathered and recovered by the quarterback himself. They, if it's if it's if it's recovered by another player, they count that the same as a same negative as if it's a lost fumble. Both of those fumbles were uh, were recovered by Darnold's offensive line, so that's probably why he got dinged heavily on that. So I'd say there's a little bit of you know caution we should have because of plays like that already happened three times in three games this year. Um, they're up so much. I think they're not worried about passing it, but if those types of plays affect them and he's had a number of turnover worthy plays too, when he's thrown it through the air and in some circumstances, if those plays start to affect the play calling tendencies of Matt rule, who has shown some conservatism in his fourth down calls, if he starts to get conservative on what he's thinking with Darnold, that could hurt as far as skewing things towards running and doing things that are more conservative and not giving Darnold opportunities to pass it on early downs. Another thing that you'll notice if you go through just the the headline pressure statistics in this game, um, if you look at the pressure statistics in this game, Darnold was actually under pressure more than Davis Mills. He was at a pressure rate of 56% versus 33% for Mills. But when you look into the numbers, you start to get another impression of, of, I don't think this is that worrisome for Darnold, but it's context is that, you know, he holds the ball a little bit longer, his average time to throw. And this goes through, uh, through a scramble or through a, which he scrambled twice or through a sack on this was three seconds versus 2.5 seconds for Mills. So that explains a lot of why Darnold saw more pressure in this game. And if you look through the individual plays here and you say, okay, how many of these could we maybe put the pressure on Darnold versus the pressure on the offensive line? Well, the median time to pressure, if you take 2020 and then the change, the partial season so far in 2021, the median time to pressure is 2.4 seconds. And if you look at Darnold, he was pressured 19 times. So it's a lot last night, but 13 of the 19 pressures were above the median time to pressure above 2.4 seconds. So he's holding the ball a bit longer there. And if you look at the two sacks, the two strip sacks that he took, right? The time to pressure on those were 3.4 seconds and 3.1 seconds. So kind of on the high side 
Um, it wasn't a long time between pressure and sack because he didn't see the pressure coming on both of those. And that's why they're a little bit more troubling in some ways. But he did hold the ball long enough on those more than three seconds that there's a reasonable expectation that the pressure could have gotten there by then. And that's why the fumbles are a little bit more troubling in those circumstances than if it was a very quick pressure that that you couldn't really avoid and a fumble there. Um, whereas for Mills, he, again, 2.5 average time to throw. So it was much quicker. And then if you look at his, if you look at his numbers, as far as his, his pressures, if you take the time to pressure on here, only two of his pressures. So only two of his 18 pressures were in more than 2.4 seconds. The rest of them were very, very low. I mean, he has a pressure here in 1.3, 1.4, 1.5, 1.3 at 1.7, another two at 1.8, another two at 1.9. He has a ton of pressures that are in less than two seconds. They were getting to him very, very quickly. So the headline pressure number was lower, but that's because he was getting rid of the ball so quickly on here. And he took four sacks. And if you look at the plays when he took sacks, Three of those four sacks were under two seconds when he got sacked. The other one was 2.2 seconds. So none of the sacks that he took, uh, the time to pressure was above the median there. So that, that he had a little bit of a rougher time to deal with there. So this just shows you how the circumstances around Darnold have been built out very well for him to be successful. And even according to those numbers that we saw in this game. And, you know, the last thing that I'll mention uh, when going through this game before we wrap up and start to get into some of the stuff that we're looking forward to for this weekend. The last thing I'll mention here for, for Darnold and for this defense is, you know, we have a very, very poor schedule, but I do think the pressure rate, the fact that they've been able to continue to get that up, the fact that they've been able to get so quickly as we saw here and the Texans offensive line, they have a lot of pieces that aren't so good, but they have some guys like Laramie Tunsil there who are pretty good. The fact that they've been getting there so quickly, that is, that is a sticky component. As a sticky component of defensive play. And I think it lends well to what we will see going forward. And I'm excited about where this Carolina team can go. Um, but it's really going to be put up or shut up time when we see them in a situation where it's a close game and they have to decide with Darnold, how are they going to use them? Are they going to take the risk of a potential sack when he holds onto the ball, because there are lots of players who hold onto the ball. I mean, Patrick Mahomes has an average time to throw. That's above three. Uh, Josh Allen is way above three. Aaron Rodgers can be above three sometimes, but what they do, maybe not Josh Allen as much, but what Mahomes and Rodgers do is they have awareness along with that high time to throw. And that's because avoiding the strip sacks are hugely, hugely, hugely important. Um, as far as they're the most negative, one of the most negative EPA plays that you can have out there when those happen in those circumstances. So that's something to keep, and monitor going forward for Sam Darnold. All right, before we get into the games this weekend, let's talk about Fantrax. Fantrax is a great fantasy football platform. We are using it at PFF in a league here. You can do player salaries, contract options. You can do different bonuses for TDs and yardage. You can auto-generate player salaries for your league. Uh, create a free account now. Promo code PFF, Fantrax.com slash PFF. Get a chance to win a trip to any regular season game this year for you and your entire league, plus $6,000. That is promo code PFF at Fantrax.com slash PFF. And I also want to talk about DraftKings. Week two of the football season is in the books. Thursday night football is also in the books. Now it's time to review the tape and get ready for week three with DraftKings Sportsbook. To kick, up, to kick off another action-packed week, DraftKings is giving new customers $150 instantly when they bet $1 on any football game. Listen up because you don't want to miss this. Head to the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and place one bet of $1 and get any three week of, on any week three game and to receive $150 in free bets instantly. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total cash prizes with their first deposit. Call to action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF to receive $150 free bets when you place $1 bet on any game. That's promo code PFF at DraftKings Sportsbook, the official betting partner of the NFL or an official betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, and Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wagered. One per customer Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. All right, so we hit the schedule. We already got Thursday night out of the way. 
Uh, Buffalo, Washington. This is a big one. Uh, what I want to say, though, when I looked into a lot of what happened with Josh Allen, because I think Josh Allen is a little bit of a concern right now. He is grading in the 20s. His EPA numbers, if you look at my Bayesian quarterback rankings for Mr. Allen, so he's 27th in grade. Yikes. Uh, because he has a lot of pass attempts, he has 102 dropbacks. So that, so the fact that he's had a poor season right now is going to lower him even further on the Bayesian because we feel a little bit more confident in the fact that he's been bad because he has so many dropbacks. And then his EPA is 18th, but you know he is like a top 10-ish quarterback for his career number. So we're expecting that to bounce back. I'm expecting about to bounce back even more just after watching a lot of the Dolphins game in particular. I mean, I know the Steelers defense, we know about the Steelers defense, right? But the pressure they can bring up front. But I think for the Dolphins defense, there were so many times where I was looking through uh, Allen's turnover-worthy plays last week, and dudes are just not open, which is surprising because of how good that uh, Stephon Diggs was was able, you know, at getting open last year, and, and Cole Beasley was able to get an open. Dolphins really did a masterful job. I saw some switches that they were making on, on coverages that were just seamless. I think like how they're playing on the back end there, not only with uh, Xavier Howard and uh, Byron Jones, but then also I saw Eric Rose doing a great job there. You know, they have Jason McCourty, one of the McCourty brothers is there. I just feel like they're doing a really, really great job on the back end. So I'm not as concerned about Buffalo. I think this will be an interesting matchup because they're going to have the pass rush, but not, not as much as far as the back end is concerned, if you look at Washington, their, their defense, um, you know, they've only have a 16th ranked defense in their drop back defense, 21st overall, they have not been playing at that level that you would have hoped from an efficiency standpoint so far and their competition, you know, the giants. Okay. I mean, and, and Herbert and in some ways, Herbert's numbers actually weren't fantastic because of the fact that he had, uh, some the, the fumble and he had some interceptions that that interception that didn't look so so great there so it's a little bit of a prove it game I think for the football team defense here more so than it is for Allen although I think Allen's gonna have a big bounce back this week they have an implied total uh, at home for the Buffalo is a seven point favorite they have an implied uh, total of 26 and a quarter points uh, fewer than 20 for the football team so I think some people may think that's going to be closer than it actually is so Cleveland is playing in Chicago, Justin Fields. He is here. Uh, we'll see how this goes here. The interesting point is I've seen a lot of people say about Fields starting this game. There's a hint as if starting this game against the Browns isn't ideal because the team is good, but guess what? The Browns defense stinks. Now you could say that, well, they played the, the chiefs week one. Yeah, that's true. But you know, they also, their their drop bag and they also played the Texans and they played Davis Mills unprepared Davis Mills for you know three quarters of the game and they're still their defense is 29th right now in EPA efficiency um better against the run 10th against the run but 30th against the pass so I think Fields is going to have some opportunities there they've also they had some problems with Terod running I mean he ran for a long third down touchdown uh, Fields is obviously going to be doing a lot of that. And, you know, this Cleveland defense, it's going to take some time to put these, all these new pieces together. And I think it's going to take a little bit longer than some people think there was a little bit overhype about how this defense could turn around because they were again in the mid twenties last year. So I don't think this is a bad matchup at all for, uh, for fields to come in and play. They only have a 19 point total. So that's not so, not so hot, but they they're going to have opportunities and opportunities to pass the ball here. So I think fields is going to have a, a pretty good game here, especially if he's running the ball a lot and you know, the Browns, they were calling card. They've been great on offensively. I mean, kind of great across the board. They are first in their EPA per play running the ball. They're sixth uh, by drop back second overall versus the bears defense that has been at least so far has been 19th against the run and 15th against the pass. So there's going to be a lot of running going on here. A lot of Nick Chubb in this game. Uh, Jacksonville versus Arizona. You know, I didn't get through, unfortunately, yet the entire Jacksonville game. But if you watch that first drive, I mean, Trevor Lawrence looked great. Okay, so Trevor Lawrence has had flashes, I think, that have been above either uh, Mac Jones or 
Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson was, you know, a disaster this last week. I mean, he does have flashes too of his, of his escapability, but he doesn't really have, he hasn't really had flashes in far as how he worked from within the pocket outside of the preseason. Preseason, he had some flashes there, but he hasn't had those flashes in the regular season. Lawrence has had flashes in series and sequences where he looks really good. He just throw, he's just thrown some boneheaded um, interceptions so far this year, and that's been his problem. They're a seven and a half point underdog at home against Kyler Murray and the Cardinals. It's not really a test here for the Cardinals. They have a 29, almost a 30 point over under. If you look at um, the the numbers here, so because of the interceptions, it's really dropped down Lawrence and the passing offense. They're 28th right now. And then if you look at the Cardinals, they are 13th in drop back. EPA again you'd expect it to be a lot higher I think a lot of people would expect it to be a lot higher so I'm going to see I want to see how the Cardinals offense against a passing defense which has not been good has not been good at all against uh, Terod Taylor and against um, Teddy Bridgewater how that can function with Kyler Murray I think it's gonna be big for for Murray here and you know the Cardinals defense has, has been flying around they've kind of been a little bit rebuilt here I don't think it's been uh, super impressive but they have been top 10 they're seventh right now against uh, per drop back despite the fact that Kirk Cousins had a really good week and they shut down the Titans offense so I think this could be a little bit more difficult matchup for Lawrence but he is he's progressing forward I think he's going to turn the corner sometime soon and we'll see a lot more for him from him despite the fact that I'm not sure he's getting the greatest uh, setup here with um with Urban Meyer, who we've already canceled, of course, on this podcast. And, okay, let's look at the Patriots and the Saints. Patriots are three-point favorites. Pretty low total, 42 and a half here. So both teams around that 20 mark. Uh, what I'm looking for here, well, right now the Patriots have the number one defense against, against the pass. And, you know, they face Tua, who's who struggled, and they face Zach Wilson. So, it's kind of a, are you for real? I think that they did play pretty well against Zach Wilson. I don't think it was all um, Wilson, Wilson's inexperience that led to that. And Winston obviously was the number one rated passer in week one and then dropped down to being the worst here. So this is going to be a real show me game because I think the Saints have enough pieces to potentially make the playoffs. But if they don't win this game and they go one and two, this is really going to impale, I think, their chances for eventually making the playoffs. Uh, we have Giants and Falcons. Giants, three-point favorites. Yikes, Falcons fans. Uh, but they are at home. Uh, 47 and a half total. Daniel Jones is a very popular streamer this week. And the reason being that the, uh, the drawback defense, 26th, right now as far as epa per play for the cardinals although you know what giants defense has been bad so far this year so i think this is an interesting game for them to see what they can do bridgewater tore them up especially on third down in the first week then taylor heineke did pretty well so if you're saying hey we went up against heineke and and teddy bridgewater we had one of the most impressive stretches down down the stretch in 2020 defensively, especially against the pass. And now going into week three, we are 28th ranked defense, 30th overall, not so hot. So I think this is kind of a little bit of a prove it game for the Giants defense at home. Uh, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, you know, we got the injuries on Pittsburgh, but if they can get healthy, I think it's going to be difficult for the Bengals. Joe Burrow is leading the NFL in sacks. And I feel kind of dumb now because I put out this, uh, stat earlier this year after week one saying, Hey, look at how the Bengals are using play action and they're running at a lower rate and they're not using empty as much to protect Joe Burrow. And now he's just been getting hit like every single time that he goes back to pass. He has a high pressure. He has only like a 30, 35% pressure rate, but the problem is he's taking a sack on about 40% of his pressures. So he's not getting pressured that often. They're keeping pressures down, but he hasn't shown to this point any escapability and any ability to make plays while he's being pressured. That 40%, the sack number is number one in the NFL. The sack to pressure 
40% of pressures turning into sacks, that is also number one in the NFL. Some of that could be fluky. You know, we, we like to look at pressures and say pressures will lead to sacks more consistently than sacks lead to sacks. So there could be flukiness to it. But as of now, Burrow with a compromised mobility because of the knee injury has not been able to avoid sacks. So going against Pittsburgh, especially if they can get guys healthy for this matchup, not ideal in Pittsburgh. Um, they only have a 20 point total expected total here for the Bengals as three point underdogs against Pittsburgh. And as far as Pittsburgh's concerned, I don't know about Deontay Johnson. He, by the time you're listening to this, he might've been declared in or out for this game. This is going to sound a little crazy, but I'm not sure him being out is a bad thing for Pittsburgh because I think they really need to figure out a way, even if it's unsuccessful sometimes or most of the time, I think they really need to figure out a way to get the ball to uh, the chase Claypool because he is their one really dynamic player on the outside, whether it's down the field, whether it's potential for yards after catch, whether it's end arounds that they used him last year. I just think they need to get the ball in his hands a bit more because when you have Juju Smith Schuster and when you have Deontay Johnson, especially Deontay Johnson, he's getting targeted a ton, but they're not going down the field as much with him. And I think it just, it, it plays to Roethlisberger's tendencies to play the short game a little bit too much and not give any of that reward of the upside. So I want to see them use Claypool more. Maybe if Johnson's not playing, they can get into that a bit more, but that would be like the number one thing I'm thinking about in this offense. If I, if I was Pittsburgh Steelers is how can we push the ball further down the field because we can't run the ball, right? Um, as of now, their run offense is 26 in EPA per, per play. Uh, their pass office is 20. So they're doing a little bit better passing. So we can't run the ball. And we got to open things up a bit, make things a little bit easier for our offensive line by making teams worried about us pushing the ball down the field. And we're going to push the ball down the field. Let's do it to the, you know, six, eight, 230 pound freak that we have in chase Claypool. So I want to see more of that from them. Uh, one of the big, big matchups of the week. It's too bad it's in the early window because it'd be great to talk about and more people see it uh, and not competition with these other ones, but that is the chiefs and the chargers. Both teams are one and one. The Raiders are two and O leading that division. The chiefs are a seven point favorite, which I think might sound high superficially high, but the Chargers' offense has had a lot of mistakes. And so that's what the Chargers' offense is going to have to avoid right now is the fact that we have so many turnover worthy plays for them. If you look at, the dropback offense has only been 12 so far this year, and that's that's pretty much what it is. Whereas the KC has been second right now behind the behind the Rams, um, dropping back to pass. So I just think I want the Chiefs to press their advantage a little bit here, and maybe playing against another high-powered offense, they'll really see we have to press that advantage. We gotta pass a bit more on early downs. We have to go for it on fourth down sometimes to make sure that we know we can't just be confident we're going to come back against this offense if they end up being down because of the fact that the chargers have this dynamic offense uh, going forward, but we need to stop seeing the mistakes from Justin Herbert. If he doesn't make mistakes, this is going to be a great game. Uh, Titans Colts don't have a lot to say here. We could be looking at Brett Hundley. So as a Brett Hundley truther, I'm hoping that he, (laughs) he potentially comes through. Uh, that didn't look so hot when he was starting in green Bay. He was the worst quarterback by efficiency when he got into the action in 2017 for, for green Bay, when Aaron Rodgers was injured. So maybe we shouldn't expect too much from him uh, going forward here, but uh, I'm going to hope that he plays. Cause I just think he does give them a little bit more of a chance than Jacob Eason. If Wentz is not going to be able to go with his double, double ankle injuries, Tennessee owned the nerds last week. Um, if you look at their offense for Tennessee, it's only 25th in dropbacks because he was so, so bad, despite the fact that Tannehill was good in the second game. And he's given up two huge, huge strip sacks that um, have really weighed against here, but maybe have not weighed so much against our grading because in our grading, Tannehill is the top three, I think, so far this year. And in EPA, he's in the 20s. So there's a huge, huge divergence there. Of course, we'll get somewhere in the middle probably, but he had been one of the more efficient quarterbacks, top five efficiency EPA quarterback also the last couple of years. So let's see if he trends back, back towards it. That Cardinals defense might just be a lot better than we think, but he's got to stop giving up these strip sack fumbles, which have been hugely negative. Again, he's kind of got that Darnold-ish to him, that Daniel Jones-ish to them, where they're so 
poised in the pocket that it almost becomes a detriment because they don't feel the rush enough coming towards them. Okay, before we get to the late games, I'm going to tell you about Western and Southern, who's the sponsor of the Unexpected Points podcast. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow, Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to identify your needs and address your goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernandsouthern.com slash PFF. Okay, in the late window, the main game in the late window. It's not a great one here. Funny when Raiders, Bucks is probably going to be one of the more interesting game. Um, kind of depends on when you get it, got in on this. So I think the Bucks had gone from a one-point underdog to a one-point favorite. Of course, you're not moving through any key numbers there, so it's not really a big deal. Uh, 55 and a half total, where both teams are projected to score 27, 28 points. Um, the oh, I'm, oh, sorry, I totally misread that. It's, it's the Rams versus the Bucks. So excuse me, excuse me. I should have known that. We were, I was talking about a lot, a lot this week. So. Um, yeah, so the, the, again, but the, the the stuff I mentioned about the, uh, the the betting spread information all applies. The Rams with the number one offense passing the ball. That's what we're, what's going to be key here. It's been on relatively low volume so far this year for, for Stafford. And again, he's someone who's top three in my quarterback rankings here, but only 61 plays he's been involved in. So it's one of the lowest because they've been winning so much, but his career ranking is more like 15. So can he get out of being that average sort of quarterback? I think so um, with what's going forward, but I'm not convinced that Cooper cup is going to continue to be as open as he's been the entire season. And I think for Tampa Bay, what you may also be surprised here again, dropback efficiency. They have only been okay. They've only been 14th in the league so far, which you wouldn't, which you wouldn't have expected. Uh, so we'll see how the Rams play against the run because Tampa Bay's defense is, you know, run defense is, is a lot stickier than pass defense. And they've been number two, uh, number one being actually the Carolina Panthers going into this week. So they've been number two in the NFL. That's continued forward from last week. We saw that the Dallas Cowboys were way, way over expectation. When the Rams last played the Bucks, they were over expectation. So I think they're going to try to do that again. And it makes a lot of sense to do that. So we're finally going to see a game here, a high volume passing game from Matthew Stafford, where he's passing in situations that it won't just be an obvious, you know, credible play action where, where he'll be using it all the time. And I think that could make things interesting and a real test of this Rams offense. Okay, now let's get to Las Vegas. Playing against Miami is going to be Jacoby Brissett. Uh, Brissett, if you look at his numbers throughout the years, he's been about 25th quarterback, if you would assume like his ranking in these different years. And that's what you should expect from him. Not a whole lot. I think it's really going to be interesting to see what Carr can do against his defense because he had the great game against Pittsburgh already. And the Pittsburgh defense has been outstanding. So the fact that he had that great game, he they used rugs. They had a big play from rugs. So that's not, you know, it's a little bit of a fluky thing, but he's fifth in the in his in his offense dropback efficiency this year, right? And the the narrative on the Raiders, I think is a bit off because there's like this Derek Carr is playing at a whole new level. He's playing slightly better than usual. And I think maybe from optics or film watchers, you could say that he's been better than usual. But the thing is their defense is now a top half defense as far as their efficiency is concerned. That was never happening in the past. You talk about Matthew Stafford having bad defenses. Derek Carr, this Raiders defense was 29th or 30th the last few years before this. And he had always been that top 10-ish, a little bit outside the top 10-ish quarterback in his efficiency. So yeah, he's taken it up a couple of notches, but that defense has taken it up four, five, six notches. And that's what's really playing through in these results here. So I don't think the defense has a tough test here, but if they can't hold down Jacoby Brissett, who is a bottom five quarterback, I would say, of anyone going right now, maybe even bottom two or bottom three, if they can't hold him down, then that's going to be a little bit worrisome. And they can't get pressure on him also because he holds the ball a lot. If you look at the, the stats between, between him and Andrew Luck, 
uh, when they were both playing in that same system, he had about an extra 0.3 seconds on his time to throw. His pressure rate was up by about 15% and his sack rate was much higher. So if they can't get pressure on Brissett, I'd be a little bit worried about the Raiders defense. And maybe it was just going against Roethlisberger uh, last week that had more to do with it. And maybe it was just an off game from Lamar Jackson and the Ravens that had more to do with it than anything else. Um, but offensively, the Miami defense, they're tricky. So I want to say no mistakes from Derek Carr, but I hope he doesn't turtle too much because this is a defense that's going to give you chances to throw the ball down the field. They play more cover zero and cover one than anyone else. Like I said, they have a lot of communication on the back end. They're not necessarily spot dropping as much as other teams. So they're going to do some interesting things and give you some chances, especially if they, if they make mistakes. But will Carr be willing to, to push the ball down the field is the question. Uh, Minnesota, Seattle, these are always interesting games. There's been some very interesting island games between these teams before in Minnesota. Seattle's only a one and a half point favorite. And I think that makes sense because despite the fact that Minnesota's 0-2, if you look at them right now, they have a top 10 passing offense. They have a top 20 um, run offense. And of course, that's probably even better than that once you get Dalvin Cook cooking, although he's a little bit injured this year. And their defense has been a top half defense too. They've just had obviously the unlucky result against Arizona and a somewhat unlucky result. You know, they had the fumble where they could have won an overtime against Cincinnati. So they, they, they need this win obviously, but they're probably a league average team at worst right now, Minnesota. So could be slightly undervalued and it's in the dome though. So I don't think necessarily Russell Wilson is going to have a lot of problems. If you look at uh, that passing offense, it's been, eighth so far and they've been able to run the ball really well but it's been highly predicated on long plays right if you look at let me get the the numbers here for success rate versus versus epa for the seahawks and i think that's what turned around on them last year to cause some of their problems is they weren't getting as many of those chunk plays yeah if you look at their total success ranking so far this year uh, offensively, it's 12th, right? But their EPA rank is sixth. If you look at their success rank throwing the ball, 27th, not high at all, but their EPA per play, per dropback rate is eighth. So big disconnect between their success rate and their EPA per play. Will that continue? You know, for them, they're hoping it does, but some of those are not going to come through. Some of those Tyler Lockett passes are going to end up being incomplete. Uh, maybe if the coverage is a little bit different here. So I think Seattle's in a little bit of a, of a worry here. And I like the, um, I like Minnesota to win this game. And, you know, the one and a half points doesn't really matter in here. But I think Minnesota is in a good position to win this game at home. Um, the Sunday night game, we're going to have the Niners and the Packers. Uh, I'll talk about Garoppolo really quickly because of the fact that he's fourth in EPA this year, but he's in the twenties in his grading. So he's got that big uh, divergence there. And I think they both kind of explain the grading explains why Lance was drafted. And then the, the downside, uh, I mean, the upside of the EPA explains why they're not necessarily going to turn it over to, to Trey Lance right now, as long as they're winning, but this is the first, you know, game where they're, they're a three point favorite, but they have a, they have a chance of losing. Right. And if you look at Garoppolo, I think the things that people have been complaining about him so far this year is there's not a, a lot of upside, but it's funny. Cause you know, some of these passes that he has where he threw it into a window, he actually has one of the highest uh, EPA that he's that he's generated on passes that are more than 15 yards down the field, even though he has the highest rate of passes um, within two yards or behind the line of scrimmage this year. So he's been, he hasn't been throwing it a lot downfield. His, his time to throw is less than 2.5 seconds. has been really fast there. He's had a ton of drops. So he's had about 9.3% of the passes have been dropped. So I think that's affected the results a little bit there. And some people saying, but he's also been effective throwing the ball down the field when he does it. He just doesn't do it that often. He's only thrown it down the field about 15% of the time he's gone past 15 yards, which is somewhat similar to what he did the year before. But the way he throws it into windows sometimes, I think it can lead to ugly interceptions, but it also leads to a lot of EPA. And that's why his EPA numbers sometimes don't match up with what people's, you know, his completion percentage over expected and his grading because he's not getting enough credit for putting the ball into those windows. And he has a 0% big time throw rate. Now, um, 
last season was only two something percent. So not, not very high. It was very low then, but 0%. I think that's a lot of people are talking about that and the downside that he hasn't had a single big time throw, but I think a lot of throws have been on the cusp there, you know, 5.2 a dot. So he's really has not been pushing the ball down the field, as I mentioned there. And if you think about the Packers, you know, we had the results up and down, up and down. Are they going to be able to stop the running game? Because despite the fact that all of San Francisco's uh, running backs are injured, they still, they still have, let's see, 14th, I guess it shows here in their, in their running efficiency. So not great so far this year, but they just played against the Eagles where they had a really tough game. Uh, both teams had a tough time running the ball with those defensive and offensive fronts. So I think we're going to see a different situation here. Green Bay so far this year has been, let's see, against the run. Not great. 23rd against the run, but then again, 27th against the pass. So they haven't been really good against anything. So this is really a prove-it game more for Green Bay, in my opinion, than it is for San Francisco. Um, and it's a game where Jimmy G has got to avoid some mistakes, despite the fact, don't worry about not having any big-time throws. You can, you can function in this offense without having to do that. And the Monday night game, Dallas-Philly. This is the Jalen Hurts show. I want to see what Hurts can do. He is in the top four, top two of my quarterback rankings because his grading and his EPA has been good. The grading thing was a little bit off last week, and I, I talked about that some for the fact that he had the Jalen Rager bomb sort of passed down the sideline that didn't count because Rager went out and then came back in. He had the long pass to Quez Watkins. He had some other plays where he had some big grades there but they didn't translate into points because they couldn't convert on fourth down um, and they had issues as far as sustaining drives and they just couldn't run the ball at all and they had a very high uh, run percentage so I want to see them pass the ball a bit more against this Dallas defense in particular I mean if you look at the the Dallas defense I mean they were awful last year they're 20th in their drop back efficiency so far this year I really really want to see that right now Um, because the defense for the Eagles is playing in a top 10 level uh I think Dallas is going to try to run it a bit more, despite the fact that the Philly uh, defensive front is, is been so is, is so good, but that's not really going to open it up that much. So this game should stay close. Dallas is a three and a half point favorite of 52 totals. That's a pretty big total. So this Philly offense is going to score. I think it's going to be a great breakout game on national television for Jalen Hurts there. Their implied total is 25 points, so it looks pretty strong there. So I'm really, really excited about that. I'm excited to see some of the backfield shift. I think they can get some more Kenneth Gainwell back in there. And, you know, Rager has been one of these things where I think it's a little bit of a head case, like evidence being that he stepped out of bounds and then came back in and scored. But he's getting the 20% target share, and he's talented. So I think he's a guy who needs the target share to be engaged. Like, he needs to be involved to be engaged. He's not going to just grind through and you know always be ready he's not going to be he's not a stay ready sort of guy he's a i'm get ready if i think i'm getting the ball type of guy so i'm glad that they're involving him more in the offense and i think if you can get him and and Devonte smith both working at the same time quez watkins for some of these chunk shots and screen plays they really have a strong strong offense there so i'm excited about philly um if that defense can stand up and i'm excited about the offense there because this could really be the game that determines who's going to win the nfc east i'm a little bit lower on washington after what that defense has displayed this year i'm not going to be a believer in danny dimes no matter what we see there although he could prove me wrong Um, so i think this is a really good this is probably my favorite matchup as far as determining what's going to happen and if the eagles can get this game it puts themselves uh not totally in the driver's seat but a little bit i think in the driver's seat position for the nfc east All right. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. I'll be back at you on Tuesday. Hopefully, uh, Ryan Paganetti will be back with me. Like I said, he was ill this week. You'll probably see him tweeting on Twitter. Follow him at Paganetti Ryan. Follow me at Kevin Cole PFF. If you have any longer questions you'd like to send me, go ahead and send it to kevin.cole at pff.com is my email address. Otherwise, I'll be talking at you guys next week. Thanks so much. (laughs) 